Welcome to the Midwest Flyways Podcast. I'm your host, Cal Ness. We have Joey Vasallo across the table from me, and we have a very special guest tonight, Graham Gresseth of Maxed Out Guides. Graham, thanks for coming on the podcast, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. Hell yeah. We had a great time with Graham the last time he was here, so we knew we had to have him back, and I think, you know, I think he's got some stuff he's going to be able to talk about today. Flooded Corn King. Flooded Corn King. Graham yes. Gresseth. Yes. He's the next Tony Van Horn. Guilty. <laughs> We're going to get into it. Carter, can we get some intro music? Yep. So, cheers. Cheers, mate. Just going to. Oh, right back at you. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, by the way, this podcast is brought to you by First Light, and Joey and I are headed to Arkansas, and we're super excited. We can't talk about it, but we're excited to try out a couple of new things that they have coming out next year. And if you haven't checked out any of the stuff they have this year, or if you missed the sale, Rugged Wool Kings, go check out First Light, firstlight.com. You're going to love the stuff. Graham, mm-hmm. uh, Flooded Corn King, mm-hmm. Uh, you just showed us some naughty pictures of some flooded corn king stuff. Yep. in Kansas. Correct. Can you talk to just a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, I, did we talk about this in the last time I was on? I don't remember. We mm-hmm. we did talk a little that you were guiding in Kansas, okay. but we didn't talk anything really about your operation. Right. Yeah. So we, um, I think I told you. I think the last time I was on, I mentioned it how I'm like a nine thousand percent better duck hunting guide when I'm hunting in flooded corn. <laughs> I'm really good. Really good. Yeah. Flooded and, corn uh, king. So anyway, you know, we kind of got to a point where we didn't want to rely on wet years for that, um, and I, it won't ever be anything that like that's just what we do until it is possibly because <laughs> <laughs> we're really good at it in it, but. Um, Anyway, so the plan was uh, we started off by flooding um, the. I drilled a well and we started flooding the bottom at my uh, our family farm that I grew up on, just two miles from the lodge. It's first field off on the west side of Lacaparo Lake, and uh, we put a pump in the first year because we have this natural bottom um, that used to be a slough. It's um, like a depression. Depression, yeah. yeah. Just and and in the spring it holds water, and we we're like, oh, yeah, this is it, money. Well, the first year we did it, we flooded it, and just. Didn't realize how much of a prick water can be. Um, you know, <laughs> it evaporates lit- and also just goes where it wants, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you kind of have oh. to tell it where to go. And um, so the first year it didn't take. So then um, the because ne- then it was just basically sheet water. The year after that, um, or then that summer, I had I had a guy go in and do the dirt work, and then um, to kind of create a bowl. And then, but then the problem was because it was so wet that spring. We, he couldn't do it until like midsummer, so he couldn't get crops in there. Yeah. Um, so then, so then we just basically had like a big bowl of water in the middle of a cornfield with like a thirty-yard buffer of black dirt, and um, uh, birds didn't love it. Um, so this summer, then <laughs> once everything drained, um, it was too wet. Uh, my farmer went in there and planted it. So then I just had a guy go in with a food plot planner. And uh, planted uh, uh, planted the corn, and that was in mid uh, mid June, mid July. This is our first year hunting out of it. Um, you know that was a ton of fun. Uh, had some really good hunts out of there. And then this process on this one in Kansas started about two. So after we were about a year and a half into this one, we started on that one, and uh, just you know finding the right landowner, finding the right piece. You know you've got water, and you've you know so there's a lot of different variables. I learned to it. Um, yeah, it, can you can you like walk us through so like. 
what in terms of actually doing this yep if someone wanted to do this yep is there like certain stuff you have to do to keep the water from just continuously like going into the soil do you have to like compact something in there like just the process of it. So, so far, I mean, and maybe there's in some areas from what we've learned so far, number one, like in Western Minnesota, it's, you know, once you get under the topsoil, that's all clay. Yeah, so that water, right. unless it's drain tiled out of there, um, that water isn't going anywhere. Um, as you know, as long as you have a way to refill it, right? Like it's eventually going to dry out, but if you have a way to refill it, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and we want to do it here in the Metro. Actually, we have a few different landowners. We've been talking about doing it, you know, uh, locally and kind of our normal stuff that we guide on but that ground is just too sandy um you know if you if we get a big rainstorm here you know like in western minnesota if we get a big rainstorm we're not driving in fields for five six days yeah if we get our big rainstorm here with the sand ground we are literally driving in that field typically the next day but the day after that for sure just because yeah. it's so sandy so yeah. we haven't figured out a way to do it here in the metro yet but that will come um so the biggest thing is just, I think, is we're having the right soil. There's things that you can do, I think, to help if you do have sandier soil. Yeah. But it's going to be a big expense. You know, right. you pretty much just have to make sure you have a constant water supply um, if that's going to be the case where you, I mean, you have somebody basically committed to going there and filling that every day. Yeah. Um, and um, so that, you know, that may end up being the solution here. Um, but then, so that's the first piece of it. You know, the next piece of it is you want to have, ground that you know number one is going to hold the water and it's not going to you know uh go back into the water table but we'll also you know it's going to collect somewhere so for our farm once we get everything done and i realized my first idea wasn't going to work and we need to do dirt work i mean it was you know almost twenty thousand dollars in dirt work yeah so yep um holy shit yeah, yeah that's not a joke nope so so that's another big factor yeah right oh, so shit. yeah i mean it, it was you know, I mean, in a perfect world, I would have done more research and, and all those things. But, you know, ultimately, we just kind of had an idea and went for it. And, yeah. you know, typically, like most ideas, your first idea is never the right one, but you eventually will get there. Right. Speak for yourself. but okay. Oh, yeah, sure. You nailed it. Yep, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Joy Vasallo. Um, never made a mistake. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so once you have, one, you know. If, one time. One time is on. one time. Yeah. Once you have the right ground, um, that's going to hold the dirt and then you have a, you know, you have an area where, or that's going to hold the water and then you have an area where it, it's going to naturally gather, you know, you're probably still going to have, from my experience, you're still going to have to do some dirt work, Yeah. but that's kind of where, and then you have your water, like how we, how are we going to get water in there? So for us in Western Minnesota, we drilled a well. Um, are there some laws you got to be like pretty careful of with some of this stuff? From my experience, no. Um, I mean, the big thing is anytime you're messing this, with drain tile in here in Minnesota, that's a big deal. So if you have a piece where you got to mess with drain tile that's connected to other people's drain tile, that's going to be a problem. It's not like an uncommon farming practice to have water pumping in. Um, well, that's more of a watershed district question. And I did call them, but for what, my, what I needed it for, because yeah. it wasn't, um, it, it, you know, it, nobody was drinking out of it. Right. And sure. it wasn't affecting other people's, um, land. Yeah. I didn't have to do anything with the watershed. I, yeah. I did call through and follow up with that, but there was basically nothing I needed to do there. Sure. So um, now in Kansas, where we're pumping down there, then you're pumping out of the river and they have permits that you have to have, um, which we learned. Um, uh, so there's permits that you have to have <laughs> to be able to pump water out of the, you know, the river. So we have one of those now. Um, nice. Totally on the up and up. Nice. And um, 
so, you know, that's the last piece of it. So, you know, how are you going to get water? Um, you know, where's it going to come from? You're, you know, you're going to drill a well, or are you pumping it in from somewhere? And so far those, and then ducks, right? Cause you don't want to spend $30,000 on a flooded corn spot and not have ducks. Right. So, um, you want to have it obviously in a good hunting area as well. And that was the thing that I think that so you ordered some up. We got, yeah. Yeah. I got yeah. a guy that just, I hit a buzzer, you know, he releases five, six there you at go. a time. Yeah, that's fly right. right into the flooded it's corn. Perfect, it's dude. awesome. Yeah. Um, that'd be so sick. Yeah, it would be sick. Yeah. That's what, that is my standard line. Any client that goes on a hunt with us, like if it's slow in the morning and we get a group that comes in, you know, there's like a two, three pack and then they shoot them like, okay guys, I'm going to give her five more minutes. I'm going to tell the farmer to hit the buzzer and let another three, four out here in a little bit. <laughs> so, do you say that? All the, yeah. What all do the, people say? Oh, they laugh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then they don't know though. Right. Right. Cause then correct. like five minutes later, do you like, I guarantee you there's somebody in the blind that we've had them is like, Oh fuck. That is awesome. Uncanny. <laughs> These yeah, guys like, are legit. Literally five minutes later, three, four come in and I'm sure it's <laughs> happened and somebody has got to be like, uncanny. Oh boy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, um, you know what I learned this year with our flooded corn on our farm, um, it took about. You know, so I learned, you learn kind of more and more, like, is everywhere you're, you hunt and you go, there are certain birds or there are certain fields that hold birds. I'm just laughing because I want to be like, I learned this year that ducks like corn that's with water. <laughs> yes. Floating. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Floating. Um, but, you know, you learn that. So, like, our farm field where I put it in, you know, we, um, that used to be CRP for years and years and years. And, you know, birds weren't really using it in the fall. So that's kind of how we got to this flooded corn piece. But anyway, um, it does, you know, if, if there are fields that birds are not used to going to, or it, it does take them a while to find them, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and it took a lot longer than, than I thought. Cause usually in Western Minnesota, if we get a big rain, I mean, Carter can attest to this. He's out in our area. Um, if you get a big rain, I got 10 spots that I can go to and I know it's going to be just loaded with ducks like the next day. Yeah. And, um, so we had this flooded corner at our farm. Um, we were starting to get in a few teal, then a few wood ducks, you know, and so I was just kind of trying to let it build before we hunted. Well, then we got in like the second week of October, we got maybe, a there was three inches of rain one day. Right. And one of our spots that's, you know, anytime it's flooded, we're normally in there, you know, we hunt the hell out of it. And, the next day after we got that rain that we had sheet water in there, there were ducks in there. Yeah. So it's like, they just knew, okay, we got a bunch of water and what there hadn't been a bunch of ducks over there. So it's like, all of a sudden it's like, we got a bunch of rain. We got to go check out that spot. And you know, there was a thousand ducks in there, not even 48 hours after. And I'm here with my spot and I'm like, okay, well we've got, Timmy and Tina, the teal, and, uh, there's 17 wood ducks and, you know, so, but it, it filled, it did. And we were able to get some good shoots out of there. So, um, yeah, yeah it was fun. So like, obviously those other places dried up eventually and then yep. they found your shit and found, yeah, found it pretty, yeah, that stuff dried up pretty quick. And how and, close is it in relation to it? You think? Oh, like as a crow flies or a mallard 25 miles. That's pretty far. Yeah. 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 Damn. So, so probably off, isn't off the a different ref, yeah, 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 different refuge, different everything. Yep. So, damn, yeah. that's pretty far. Yeah, yeah. But um, and, and it's not that our birds had found it. It's just like there was other birds up in that area that were just they just knew the birds that were on that refuge roosting. It's like they were in it immediately. Yeah. So that's sick. Yeah. I've always heard people um, like Joe Heinz has said it a couple times when a field is first harvested. Like you look at a bird and you're like, they can't really smell, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a beak. Yep. Um, but they find 
a fresh cut cornfield like it's nothing. Yeah. Even if they weren't flying over it the last couple of weeks, they'll just find it. Yeah. And you think that's how they found yours or what? Or they're flying around? Well, I think for us, I think that's more of a situation that we, we have farmers that we work with and that we lease and we pay a lot of money to because they're aggressive. They are not the farmers that are going to wait for their corn to dry because they don't want to pay dryer fees. They want to get that crop out of the field because they've got so much to get it. Um, and those fields are naturally out sooner. And again, same deal. Birds, maybe nothing in the area. That corn comes out two days later. You know, you've got a 250 honker feed in there. Um, so I, I just think it is a lot of, you know, it, whether it's in their DNA or whatever it is, it's just their instinct. It's like they know once it gets to be a certain time of year, this is the area, you know, if they are in this, they start looking in this area, they're going to find food there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how they do it though. I mean, like sometimes it's, it's pretty insane that they find it like as fast as they do. It's pretty wild. And especially too, if there's not a lot of birds in the area Yep. and then something changes with the farming and then immediately it's like, there's a big change yep. too. Yeah. Like that field that I was, the flooded spot that I was telling you about that they found, I mean, we went from literally had not seen a duck over there to a thousand mallards in there just right now. Unreal. Yeah. What, uh, how was your like October, November? I can tell you. <clears throat> He beat the shit out of him, dude. <laughs> yeah. Graham beat the shit out you of know, the I mean, I'm here. asking kind of, you know, yep. rhetorically. Like, I just, I know I watched a little. Yep. So just yep. like what happened though? How? Yeah, we beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, uh, it was a really good year. Um, October, November, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Our September was probably the toughest September that we've maybe ever had. Goose wise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really tough. Um, and, um, but we got into October and, um, you know, you usually get like duck opener hits. You'll have a couple good days of duck opener. And then it's just usually terrible for 10 days. And it's not a big, that's not a big time for us guiding anyway. And then things start to pick back up again. Yeah. So when we hit that early October, like, okay, you know, we've definitely got some new birds in. We had, you know, some cool nights, Northwest winds. Okay. We're we've got some good hunting here for a bit. Then it's going to get tough. Well, um, it got good and then it just kept staying good and you know, it would slow down for a couple of days here and there and then it would get good again. And then, then we had that big cold snap at the end of October and we were like, Oh God, yes, here we go. This is it. This is the start of it. And that happened and it came and went. And then we had, what was it like 75 days in a row in the month of November in which it was above? <laughs> I mean, that's what it's felt like. 55. You know, it's just like you're looking at the 10 day and it's, it's, unreal. it's 50, 55, 60, 60 65, yep. 70. Yeah. And we, uh, I just thought, holy shit, we, we are in for a tough one. Yeah. Um, and we were, you know, we were out in, uh, I was out in South Dakota the first, so like right on the back end of that cold snap and then really beginning of the warm front. Um, I was out in South Dakota for all that and the guides were in Western Minnesota and we were beating the fuck out of them in South Dakota. Um, like it was wild, um, really? wild, wild. Um, yeah. And like limited in six minutes type of wild, like, um, nine clients, four guides. Um, and it was all Widgeon and Gadwall. Oh um, Oh, Gaddy's give it up. But we shot a 13-man limit in like just under 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. 
It was wild. Don't touch your barrel on that. Pretty one. much, it was just nonstop, and we we got done with the hunt. We told the the clients, I was like, "All right, guys, because they're guys from the south, and typically guys from the south just want mallards. They just want greenheads." Right. And I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna get these guys are gonna be frustrated that we shot nothing but widgeon and gadwall." And I said, "Guys, you know, if we want to shoot mallards tomorrow, like." We just probably have to wait a little bit later because the widgeon and gaddies are feeding like right out of the gate and those mallards aren't going to start feeding until probably 10. If they feed in the morning, could be later than that. might not be to the afternoon. They're like, fuck those mallards. <laughs> this was awesome. Yeah. Let's go do this again. And it was. I mean, it well, was, I saw your Snapchats. I'm like, yeah, dude, there are flocks at 300 plus constantly coming into in that field. stuff. In, in the field. Yeah. It was like a bean field too, right? Yeah. In the beans. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You don't many see that, dude. It was wild. Just nonstop, could not keep, I mean, like literally we were done and there were 500 Gadwall and Widgeon like 20 yards out of our decoys everywhere. Yeah. Just sitting there hanging out. Just gorging themselves. Yes. Believable. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. So anyway, we're out there with that, right? And how many days was that out there? How many days was it like that? 10 days of guiding like that. Just in a row. (laughs) Um, Last couple days... It got when that that warm front they they the mallards really started so we lost some of those gadwall and widgeon, um, and then those mallards, you know, like mallards typically do when it gets warm, then they they're not feeding as hard and they're just kind of fucky and so we were still they're playing sh- patty cake. Yeah, it yeah. was so we were still shooting limits or close to it. It's just taking, we had to sit all day for taking them. a little yep. while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm out there with that, and we are just beating the hell out of them. my guides are in western Minnesota. And, you know, I see what's going on with the weather and 50 degrees in November is like a death sentence for waterfowlers. And of course. When, especially when you've got, you know, that's just one day when you've got two weeks of it stacked on top of each yeah, other. Yeah. I mean, and then some, yeah. everybody gets very emotional in the guides quarters. Well, like, it's so hard to pattern them because yeah. they just do whatever they want. Right. There's nothing forcing them to go feed or yeah. to go back to water. They're yeah. just, they almost like spread out. Yeah. And even if that's if they come out and feed before sundown, that's, that's right. most of the, what at the time of the time it's those birds, when they gets to be a warm weather trend like that in a cold weather month, they just, they just shut down their feeding pattern and they do not come out during shooting light. And Why do you think that's because of uh, them feeling pressure or that's just, they don't have to. I think it's a little bit of both. There's a lot of pressure around. They don't really have to feed. They kind of know the deal. It's like, yeah, we'll just hang out here and then, you know, right at sundown or roughly three minutes after sundown, then we'll go out and get some food, hmm. eat for 20 minutes until it gets pitch black. And then we'll go back to the roost and we'll do it again tomorrow. So yeah. it's so annoying. Yeah. That is the, that is the worst pattern as a guide because your clients don't even see them. Right. Yeah. Like your clients don't even see the birds that were in that field the day before. And so I, what I get into a habit of when we get into those patterns, um, is I always tell my clients is like, cause we'll be out there and you know, we're still out picking up decoys and stuff. It's like, when you guys get to your truck before you're going to drive away, just turn back and look at where we're sitting. That's just all I ask because like we, you know, we didn't just throw a dart. We're not just here for, you know, just because like, there's a reason that we're in this spot and you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but I've, I have had clients that were like, geez, I thought you guys were kind of full of shit, but I turned around just like you said, when we were driving out of the field and saw, you know, 3,000 mallards spinning 200 yards away from where you guys are picking up the decoys. Right. So, right. Yeah. No. So anyway, we, yeah, we just kept shooting them in November and it, it just kept staying good. And I just kept waiting for it to stop and stop and stop. But it just, it, it just 
kept on through the entire time. And so you were out there and it was amazing. Did yep. you think it was, so you knew it was going good here though. I'm assuming you were getting reports. Well, or whatever. Yeah. I'm just talking with, I talk with the guides every day when I'm out there. So, yeah. yep. so you're assuming it sucks. I'm thinking it's just going to be the worst. And, but it's like, well, are, are we going to be able to shoot them? Like that's, that's the question I asked. Like, do you think we'll kill any? And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's in there. Cause yeah. I'm just thinking how much opportunity are we going to get to have a good hunt tomorrow with how those birds are going to feed. And yeah. it's like, do you th- it's like, well, you know, if they come out in time and they just kept coming out in time. So it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Real, yeah. real quick. I just wanted to talk about one of our sponsors, Graham. It's outlaw beer. Is this your first time having one? It is. What do you think? It is fantastic. You really like it. Huh? I do. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm obsessed. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I can't drink Bush, Michelob, any of these other beers anymore after yep. drinking this. It honestly tastes like skunk water. Yeah. No, this is great. It hurts my soul a little bit, but this is so good. So Because you were, you were born a, like bush like girl. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I was a bush-like girl. Right, right. Big bush-like girl. Yep. Well, Joe, when you get older and you start <laughs> having more babies like you're doing right now, you're going to realize the key to not being hungover when your kids wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning is drinking good beer. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I just don't drink enough for me to feel hungover. Oh, sure. Unless we're doing a podcast. How, then old, I, how old are you now? I'm 30. Okay. 38 is the age when <laughs> two beers feels like 20. Oh, no. So, yes. Oh, really? no. That is coming. Yes. Yes. Oh, shit. There comes a time in your life where you can <laughs> sit down and casually drink two, three beers with the guys, and you're like, oh, it's no big deal. I feel fine. Then you wake up in the morning, and you feel like death. So <laughs> See, that? I'm not excited for that. But I thought if you keep drinking good beer, hammered. then you don't have to deal with that. I know a lot of old guys that drink like 10 to 15 or 20 a day. Yeah, and they're fucking miserable. Everybody around them hates them because they're hey, so crabby the next day. Hey, Cal, but how many teeth do they have? That's a real question. Well, well you know. How much money do they make an hour? That's a good I, question. I, I wouldn't know. 20 beers a day? Right, well. You ain't making much. Uh, God. But anyway. If you can only, if you can drink them between like 6 p.m. and midnight. I knew a guy that would uh, that would slam a 12-pack on his way home from work. That's insane. Yeah, he would yeah. slam a 12-pack on his way home from work, and he wouldn't feel drunk until he got to the to the door. That was like his philosophy of justifying it. Is he a waterfall guide? No. Oh, okay. Car salesman. Oh, gotcha. Car salesman. Yeah. yeah. But like his, his justification was, I'm not drunk till I get home. So it's, if, even if I got pulled over yep. and they blew me, I wouldn't blow anything. And I'm like, wow, you are insane. So if they blew you know him on the way home? Yeah, if they blew him on the way home, right. he'd get home quicker. That's called alcoholism. Right. Yeah. And now, just saying. Saying that now, don't drink and drive. Right. It's so yeah, thank stupid. You. Thank but you. Um, what's cool, I don't know if you saw it, Graham uh, took his wife out and shot her first mallard. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not see that. All man. these years. Yeah. She finally That's shot her first crazy. mallard. Well, we always do women's hunts, are um, typically early season. And yeah. um, we just. It just hasn't worked out for her to get out like on an official duck hunt. Like I've gotten her out in Western Minnesota at the end of the year a few times, and we just have never. We just because we have the kids with, we just hunt the pits, right? Because it's, it's easy, and on you know they can watch cartoons. Yeah, and, and if there's no birds, there's no birds. Right, exactly. We just go eat breakfast. Um, so she just never she had never shot one before, and uh, she was out deer hunting, and uh, um, didn't get her deer, and she was pretty bummed, and I, um just slipped into the flooded corn one morning because the guides had other stuff to hunt. And I was like, well, I'm going to go shoot some mallards. And, um, <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, so, cause the other awesome piece of it is like where my family farm, where I grew up, that house, the flooded corn is like 
350 yards out the back door. So. You don't do $20,000 worth of dirt work if you can't shoot mallards when you want. Correct. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Or walk from your old home. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's literally like 150 yards from where I shot my first goose ever. Um, so it is like literally in our backyard on our property. And, uh, so I just called her up and, and, um, she was all bummed. She didn't shoot her deer. And, and, uh, I said, well, Hey, just, you know, grab your shit and grab your gun. And or I didn't even need your gun. I said, I have a gun. I said, I, I'm, I just shot my, my limit. I'm done. And, um, and she's like, well, I don't want to sit there with clients. And I was like, no, it's fine. There's no clients out here. It's just me. So she came out and like sat down and, um, it wasn't, she wasn't there for 90 seconds before we had a green head <laughs> backpedaling like right in front of her. And she's still not super confident in her shooting, you know? So like she gets into her head a little bit with it and oh, totally. And it was a windy day and it was sunny and the sun was at her back and the, you know, the wind was blowing the corn. And I said, you know, you don't have to rush this. When I say kill him, just stand up, shoulder your gun, do it slowly, put the beat on the bird and squeeze the trigger. And, uh, so that first one came in and was backpedaling at probably 15 yards. And, and, uh, I said, okay, honey, kill it. And she stood up, did everything right and shot and, um, dumped her first one. And 20 minutes later she had her next one and then she missed her next two. Um, and then, uh, and then finished out her limit. So that's unreal, man. Yeah. It was did awesome. She love it. She, yeah, just was like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And it was so, she like I mean, it better than geese. Um, I think she likes, um, she really likes layout blind hunting. So she thinks that's really cool, but she really liked how with mallards, like with geese, it's like, okay, guys, here they're coming. You know, we, you see them, you hear them way off in the distance. What she liked about the mallards is, is like, they were just there. Right. You know? And, um, so, and there wasn't much calling for me because the ones that were in there were just, you know, they were so comfortable. There was probably 200 in there at the time. Yeah. And, uh, they're just so comfortable. They are, you know, picking up off the lake. There's no doubt in their mind where they're going. <laughs> Um, you know, 12 decoys, no spinners, and they are just in it, um, right in front of you. So yeah, she, she thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. What is it about ducks that is so it's like mystical? Yeah. It's almost like mythic of where they just come out of nowhere. They are just on top of you. God, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially true. You know, you don't get that as much in field situations. It's more when you're hunting water, you know, you're hunting water, then all of a sudden they're just out of nowhere. They're right there on you. Like that 10 o'clock range. Yep. There's just a 40 pack. Yep. Muscle man. And in. it's like, where did you even come from? Yeah. The stratosphere. Right. Just drop straight down doing (laughs) this, you know, where they're losing as much altitude as they can. No circling. Just, yeah. Just a vertical drop. Yeah. It's always when you're just like sitting there too and nothing's really happened. Yeah. And you just fucking off. Starting to zone off. Out of nowhere. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, probably the best, the most fun flock we had in there this year, and I had never experienced this before, I don't think ever. Um, it was one of the first times we were hunting it. We're sitting on, you know, we're sitting out looking over the lake and uh, one of my guides is like, oh. I think there's a flock of ducks getting up. So they were like literally sitting on the shore of Lac Caparle. They flew up, flew over, and it was a flock. There was probably 30 in it. And, um, you know, typically with a fl- with 30 mallards on the water, they are going to, you know, they're going to work you. It's not even as comfortable as they are. That You're not, I mean, 30 aren't, it's not like they're in a field. 30 aren't going to just pile right in, just right into there. Right. 
And um, so I was like, okay, guys, everybody get down. So we're on our duck calls, and it's me and Drake. You know, like, man, and, 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 and all of a sudden, I've got my head down, and I'm not even watching them at the time because I'm expecting them to kind of go out, go around, go on the backside, you know, like they typically do, and then it'll get serious. Well, all of a sudden, I hear my guy Drake go, oh, Jesus. And <laughs> so I look up, and this 30-pack is like, sucking the air out of the sky and is just piling into the decoys. It's like, Oh boy, guys get ready. So they went from here to all 30 of them in the hole in about like two and a half seconds. I was like, all right guys, kill them. And then just as I'm shooting, I was like, huh, those are not mallards. <laughs> like, kill them, boys. So he sit up and they just the bottom just drops out of this flock, right? It is just carnage and chaos because they are so tight and they are so close. Yeah. Right. I was just like, what? Oh, oh, oh shovelers. <laughs> <laughs> just a pile yeah. of them. Just a pile of shovelers oh, that just shit. absolutely gave it up in the most epic fashion I've ever seen on water. Yeah. 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 Have you did you see a lot of like mature looking Drake Spoonies this year? No. Dude, every one I shot this year, this close to a mounter. Really? That's like they cra- still it's had actually a, true, yeah. They yeah. actually had a little bit of white going up. It's green up in the back. Other than that, it would have been perfect. Yeah. Like such a stark white belly to chestnut brown yep. to green. Yep. Ugh. If I would have shot one of those that day, I would have definitely mounted it. Because it was just so epic, yeah. that flock. Yeah, yeah, it was just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. They give it up. Oh, it's Spoonies great. Spoonies give it yep. up. Just like Gadwall and Widgeon. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 100%. Guide's best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Dude, Gadwall, Gadwall, it's weird. Yeah. Like weird how often. It's just, and that's that's another bird too that will just come out of nowhere. That's like for sure like a lake bird, like a 10 o'clock out of nowhere. There's like four or five Gadwall just in your face. Yep. Landing in the decoys. No hesitation yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It actually is yeah. the best. Yeah, they saved our ass every day in Oklahoma. Yeah. It was awesome. Do you guys guide on water at all other than just like flooded stuff? Um, we do in Kansas quite a bit. Okay. Um, not so much in western Minnesota. It's just it's a different I don't know. It's just it's hard to guide clients on the It's not consistent. And, no, it's tough. It's tough. And it's just so hard to hide everybody and you know, you tell a client like, Okay, well this is like this is how we're concealing you. We're in these cattails and, you know, we got water up to our knees. So let's just try to be easy on your surroundings. And yeah. then you walk down and talk to three more people. When you come back to him, it's like he's got a hedge trimmer out and has just wiped out <laughs> yeah. every bit of cover around him. We we were hunting in uh, North Dakota and we were getting our ass kicked. So we decided to hunt some water and uh, everyone's like, where should we sit? Where should we sit? And, uh, we found this little spot of cattails and they were thick. Mm-hmm. Like it was good cattails. And I'm like, okay, let's go here. I was like, but here's what we have to remember here. Cause there's four of us. There were four of us. Four. Yeah. Um, we all come out of the cattails in the same spot. Yeah. Because have you noticed when you're hunting people in cattails, people just go straight out oh. from where there are cover yeah. is gone. Yeah. Instantly gone. Yeah. Just drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so in Minnesota, we don't a lot, Kansas, we do a ton. Um, and that's cattle ponds, though, cattle ponds. Yeah. Yeah. Pasture ponds, cattle ponds, watershed ponds. I mean, I, you do an A frames on the side of those. Typically, you know, um, you know, a lot of my guys like to run layout still, but when I'm trying, you know, typically more a frames if we can. Um, but it's just a different deal down there. Like those ducks come back to cattle ponds down there, the way mallards come back to fields. Um, it's not just onesie twosie, it's big groups and they are just in it. Um, so, 
Uh, Are they just chilling in there? Like, what's the... Well, I don't know what they're eating in there. Right. But they want to get after... You know, I'm sure there's smart weed and, yeah, yeah. you know, millet. And I'm sure there, there's some of that. But um, and, and it could just be nice, you know, grass regrowth. Like, once Kansas gets wet again, because Kansas has been so dry the last three years now, it's really bad down there this year. But once it gets wet again down there, all of those ponds that are dry, it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, stupid. It is going to be lights out down there. <laughs> because all of those ponds are full of fresh, new, lush vegetation. We just don't have any water. So as soon as we get water down there, it's going to get crazy. What's like the, what's the most common vegetation down there? Um, like what are they eating out of those? In the water spots? Yeah. I, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming it's just smartweed. Smartweed? Yeah. Uh, and smartweed is red, right? Um. Well, no, then that's not smartweed. I guess, Um. what am I thinking? I'm thinking of the stuff that is... Um, Foxtail, coontail. Um, it's the thin little pods right up on top. Little balls, Carter. Joe, you're you know my ball expert. Yeah, I'm yeah. big ball guy. Yeah. Um, cup the balls. So, what is that, Carter? I don't know. You should know that. I don't. You got glasses on. You should know that. <laughs> Come on. I'll I'll try to find it. Please, thank you. So I thought that's what smart weed was, but if uh, if it's not if it's not, then I'm wrong. But um, it, well, I'm asking because I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, yeah, and I don't. I but it would make sense because in South Dakota we see a lot of the red stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Wherever that red stuff is, ducks lights out, crazy, yeah. wild. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, because yeah. Minnesota just doesn't have that climate, I and mean, it's I don't think it's natural to hear. I I don't know. We we see it in South Dakota a lot where we guide, um, and we don't see that red stuff as much down in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in South Dakota, wherever those red wherever that red grass is, it is full of mallards. Yeah. Every time. Well, and the corn king, he doesn't care that much. I yeah. Mean, he's yeah. more into the corn. Yeah. So when this is actually like outside of the podcast, like yep. this is a good question for yep. you. Yep. So I'm trying to buy a home with land and whatever. And I'm thinking like, okay, I want a field or I want a pond. Yep. You know, like something that I could kill ducks out of and geese, of course, but I'm seeing more uh, like timber. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, how much money would it be to create my own flooded timber spot? essentially in Minnesota. I'd have to have a good flight line. Yep. And um you have to have the right producing trees. Yeah, I have to have oak trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but also at the same time, I don't really think it would matter if I were to plant some sort of millet or smart weed or like rice. Yeah, like uh like a cover crop essentially in the pond because that's what they do uh in Arkansas too. They put rice in their uh duck holes in the mm-hmm. timber. And so how much money do you think that would cost for me to do that? Well, I think the bigger thing to like for you, create it. I mean, well, you got to clear the trees too, because right. you're definitely gonna have some clear. Which some I trees can do that. I can clear trees, right? You know, but like outside of me doing physical labor. Yep. Um, I think that would be a pretty significant investment. I mean, if you can do a lot of it yourself, then that's good. I think the biggest challenge would be like I was talking about um, at our farm and in Kansas is just the getting. Soil getting those ducks to know that it's there right? and learning that it's there. Cause that's going to be the biggest challenge Well, and pumping water and pumping water. Right. Yep. And then keeping water there. Cause yep. my th- thought process on it was kind of uh, like, you probably won't have enough time to plant a cover crop the first year. Right. And so the first year you go in there, you make sure that there's water. It's clear. Yep. Make sure that birds can find it. Yep. And you just load that shit up with corn. Yep. Load it up with corn. Don't hunt it. Yep. You know, that entire first year, just let birds find it. Let yeah. them come there, congregate on it. Second year, make sure all that corn's gone so you're not baiting. Mm-hmm. And then plant plant, plant a good cover crop and kind of go from there. Yep. That's kind of where my mind is. 
I mean, in theory, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's just like anything, Joe. It's like um, trailer blinds and flooded corn and all those different things. Like, yeah, you're 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 probably your first idea is not going to be your best one, but if you stay after it, it, it you'll eventually get to the point. I don't know how much money it's going to cost you, but right. You know, you can make more money, right? Mm-hmm. True. You know, you'll eventually get to the point where you nail it. Um, and then it's going to be awesome. Right. Yeah. I think the bigger question for me that like strikes a chord when you're asking that stuff is like, is like throwing corn in there and letting those birds find it. Like how th- theoretically, like how possible, you know, is they can it to see just yellow. have them come back immediately the next year and to find it easily? And, and well, I, I don't know. And I know. I know. It's like, uh, you have to hit your resident population though. So if I were to make like a, let's say it was 10 acres of timber and I opened up an acre Mm-hmm. Of trees, that's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a and lot. you open that thing up, and you literally pile that thing full of corn. They're gonna find it, like aerially. They're gonna find it because it's just gonna be yellow. Um, but I think you have to do it early enough in the season so that you have the resident birds that were breeded there, and will be coming back there. Because I mean, the migration thing I think is gonna take a while. Yeah. You know, why don't you just buy Pete's place? What's that? You just buy Pete's place, then it's all done. True. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, that. All place you have to is do so is sick. collect a few million dollars and big deal. Right. Right. No, yeah. I'm just wondering because I'm like, I'm not gonna find something perfect for me. Yeah. Especially not right now with how the market is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, how can I make it into something like that? Going in timber would be up here would be nerve wracking. That would be yeah. one that would make me nervous. Like, mm-hmm. is this one going to pan out? That's got to be one where it's like me and you can just go in there and screw off and just figure out if it's yeah. going to work. Like, it's not like you're banking on it. Oh, no. Just like, like oh, I'm, I wouldn't be running clients out of it probably. Yeah. Right. You know, right. so I'm not, I'm going to put in as little financial yeah. as I can. Yeah. Because I know I'm not going to make the money back. Right. Even when I sell the home, it's not going to make shit. Well, worst case scenario, shoot, shoot wood ducks out of there eventually. True. Worst case. Yeah. Which I wouldn't hate. No. Good wood duck shoot. Great little take take Aziz out. Just go in there in the morning for an hour, twenty minutes. Shoot three wood ducks. Get out. Yeah. Drive an ATV to a fucking garage. Right. Yeah. Everybody in the morning, you know, if we tell clients that you know we've got wood ducks in the morning, a lot of them are like, "Oh God, wood ducks hunt." It's like, yeah, it's the best hunt for tomorrow. Then you go in and shoot them, and everybody is like high fiving. (laughs) Having the time of their lives, like, oh man, this is awesome. You know, they just keep coming, and then yeah. twenty minutes later, it's done. But you've already shot your limit. So, really quick before we get back into this, I just wanted to mention another one of our sponsors, Onyx Hunt. I know obviously you use Onyx, mm-hmm. and I don't know anyone who really doesn't. Uh, but they have a ton of new features that have come out on it. So if you guys haven't checked those out, uh, the recent imagery, super cool. Go on your app and check out. You can literally watch a video on Onyx's YouTube exactly how it works, but it's pretty insane. So go check that out. Obviously, if you're not utilizing like the cover, uh, or I'm sorry, the crop layers, super helpful, especially if you're going to areas that you haven't necessarily hunted, trying to figure out if there's a lot of the right crops there, i.e. Corn King. Uh, so use Onyx, and you can use our discount code MWF20. For 20% off your Onyx memberships, elite or state. All right. So my next question for you is in terms of being a guide, what's a good tip? Um, so in our welcome email, um, we... Uh, dude, I need like a welcome answer. email. This is just like... Yeah. It's one of those things that like you don't get a great answer or a straight answer. Yep. And it's just, you know, 
what is a good tip? Like what, what's being a dick? So for three guides and our, so we detail this in our welcome email because people ask it to me all the time. Yeah. Um, and what I tell in our welcome email, basically what it says is if there's three to four, three or four guides in your hunting group, each one of them should walk away from the end of their three days hunting with you from anywhere from uh, $200 a piece to $500 a piece. Okay. So that's typically where our, where our guides are at. So if there's three guides in a group, um, that group is getting tipped anywhere from <clears throat> 600. And I think probably the highest that we've ever had was like three grand. Sure. And how many guys are hunting in that group then? Um, typically like seven to eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's easier if you're in a group where it's like your buddies. Cause then you guys can talk. It's like, Hey, let's each, you know, pitch in 150 bucks and call it a day. Yeah. Um, a little bit tougher if you're in a mixed group where it's just the, like the two of you hunting with another two guys and another two guys that yeah. you're kind of mixed mashed together. But. And that's why I'm asking. So like, let's just say theoretically, yep. cause a lot of guys will go out on their own. Yeah. So if you go out and it's like, let's say, and, and I guess there's two scenarios, right? Yeah. So let's look at it from a perspective of I go out one dude and I'm going to drive to Fergus hunt one day yep. and then come home. You go yep. out with a guide. If I'm by myself yep. and the, the fee for the day is 150 bucks. Yep. What's a good tip? Yeah, well, 50 bucks price point for hundred bucks, 50 bucks, probably. 50 bucks. So if yep. I give him 200 bucks and it was supposed to be 150 yep. and I hunted one morning yep. and I'm out and everybody does that, then they're fine. Okay. Yep. Yep. But, but you know, then the difference is, is like, if you go on a three day hunt, that's 1500 bucks. You know, that's then I, I'd say you're looking at a minimum of, um, you know, a minimum hundred dollar bill a day. So why, why wouldn't you just include it in the price? That's my question. Well, because I don't, <clears throat> I want the guides to get that in cash and mm. not have to go through me. Yeah, sure. essentially, make, why would you more. pay taxes on it? Right, right, right. I don't want them to have to, you know, they've worked hard, they've earned that tip. I don't want them to lose a, I don't want to have to take, because if I, if I get it, then um, it's, they're just going to make less on it. So essentially, if you're going in a decent sized group to like a lodge where you're getting meals and stuff paid yep. for, you should expect anywhere from like 70 to 100 bucks a day per guy. I would say, yeah, I'd say right around there. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if, if you're in a group of eight, it's essentially like, what, 600 bucks a day? Yep. Well, so be- group of eight, group of eight walking out at the end. Of, so if you're looking at, at uh, you know, kind of our ratio, what we tell them. So you're looking anywhere from, if those three guides leave from anywhere from like 600 to split between the three of them to sure. 1,200, okay. I'd say that's the range. So yeah. So 1,000 bucks would be like, if you went for three days of the big group and you yep. guys as a group tipped 1,000 bucks to three guides, that's good. Yeah. It's decent. Yeah. I mean, none of my, respectable. My guy. Yeah. I I think 200, $200 is kind of the $200 for a three day hunt is kind of the floor for my guides. That's where they're like, it's not as good as it could have been. Okay. So that actually kind of breaks back down to like 50 bucks a day. Yeah. Per guy. Yep. And, but depending on the group, you know, and, and, um, we, I mean, I'll be at like, I think most guide services do this, like, cause I always ask my guides, like, you know, how do they take care of you? And if we have a group that doesn't tip well, um, I am not going to be super aggressive about getting them back in there. Yeah. So. Well, especially for a guy like, I mean, in your situation, you got probably pretty decent set of books. You don't have to have those people back, but. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you want to be. I'll put it this way. I'm not going to chase them down to come hunt with us, but if we have some spots to fill and they call and they reach out, I'll still pick up the phone and answer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But um, they're definitely not getting the hay like this. This date opened up in this yeah. state. And you, it's good. You, you guys should, should take it. This You guys should take this one next year. They don't get that email. Yeah. It's just something about, you know, you hear so many different answers. Yeah. So it's just trying to figure out in your head. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a dick. Yep. But I also have no idea what's realistic. And it's funny because, you know, I, I work for a company building homes. Yep. And so it's the same thing. Like people get a quote from us. Mm-hmm. And when you meet with them, you're like, well, what's your budget? And they're like, well, we don't really know. Yeah. And then they tell you they want, you know, a 4,000 square foot house with marble floors. And then you give them a quote for like a million dollars. And they're yep. like, well, our budget's 350. Right. And you're like, well, that's why we asked. Right. <laughs> yeah. Could have told you not to get the marble floors. Save us both some time. Yeah. But I have no idea when it comes to hunting. It's yep. just like such a. I think the biggest thing for tipping, and it's it's one things that um, that drives us, I, I guess, I or it drives me crazy, and I'd say it drives a lot of the guides crazy, is when guys say things like, "Oh, you know, if you get us on a good one, you know, we're really gonna take care of you." Oh yeah. You know, we burn Classic. them out, man. We're really gonna take care of you, and that's such a bunch of bullshit. And honestly, if you're a client that's going out with a guide service. That's the last thing you should want your guide to be motivated by. Like you should want your guide to be motivated by taking every group out, putting them on their best hunt every single day based on what the conditions of mother nature have to offer. Yeah. And, you know, so our guys, when they hear that, it is just in one ear, out the other. Oh, it's so annoying, dude. It's so annoying. Nothing. It means nothing. And And you shouldn't want that to mean something. Like, cause yeah. that gives you the impression that like, Hey, if you don't like, we're here to do a good job for you every day, no matter what, you know, you shouldn't want a guy that's like, well, how much are you going to tip us at the end? We'll let you know which spot you put, put you on. No shit. Right. That you should never want that. What would, yeah. Cause it's like, what would be the difference? You telling them that now you think that for some reason you're getting a better field. Right. I swear. That's what people think. Well, it's like, uh, like in construction too, people were like, what do you mean you can't get to it for two weeks? What if I gave you an extra $500? It's like, hey, bud, that's actually not how this works by yeah. any means. Right. Like hey, when dude. I told you that I can't do it, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I'm telling you what my schedule is. Hey, man, your contract's for sixty grand. So the $500 that I already can't get here for, I can't come. Yeah. Is that $500 going to buy you an extra 74 hours in a day? I to bet get you it's going to buy me more of an asshole customer right. <laughs> right. for exactly. sure for sure as God. soon as you take that money that's bribe money dude. well and like you're before uh before i knew heinz super well um is what i think is when he first started going to fergus and guiding mm-hmm. uh, i had a buddy in town he had just got back from the marine corps and so i called him and i was like hey i'm bringing my buddy up there he just got back from the marine corps whatever he goes oh i you know he's half off i was like oh cool like i barely knew joe yeah and uh He's like, yep, it'll be, you know, 150 bucks a day or whatever. And then your buddy's going to pay 75 bucks for the day. I was like, cool. And uh, go up there. We shot one goose. And um, I could see how much work that they put into the area. And it's not that we didn't see any birds. They just, we got lunch lined all day. Yep. And we sat out there all day. And they sat out there all day. And I was like, God, I got to give Joe like 100 bucks minimum. And so I think I had like 110 bucks in my wallet. And he's like, I don't. I don't want it. I mean, still took it because yep. I told him to. Right. But it was just like I felt like you sat out here all day. You probably knew we weren't going to kill birds, yet yep. you still sat out here. Here you go. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. and that is a um, that's the other piece for the guides that really sucks when for clients when they say shit like that. Like, oh, you take you know, put us on a good one. We're really going to take care of you. 
Um, because the work for us is the same on the good ones and the bad ones. Right, hundred percent. It's all the same. It's not like on the good days we worked harder that day. Like, right. it's just what that you know conditions. What you know, whatever it was that led to that day being good, it was all. It was the exact same plan and process that we did on the day before when we didn't shoot. You know, we shot five. Still setting the trailer. Still, still putting the decoys, decoys. Talking still, to the landowner. Still scouting on the road. The trap, still driving yeah. the truck. Yeah, yeah. It's all the same stuff. So. um that's why we appreciate, you know, guys, Joe, when people do stuff like that is they, when they, when we have a group that recognizes like, Hey, we maybe didn't have the best three days, but man, these guys worked their ass off. Like, yeah. Those are the clients that we love to have back. Yeah. And those are the clients that, you know, uh, not that we want it more for some than others, but you do sometimes like, you know, it's like, man, these guys took care of my guides last time and they a little came, more pressure. they came back. It's like, we just want it. You're for still them doing so the same thing, but you're mentally, you're thinking like, I really want these yep. guys. Like, and of course you want all your clients to yep. have a great hunt, but it's the same thing when, you know, you have a buddy that is always there for you yep. when you need them, when you call yep. and then they call you for a favor it's not that you wouldn't do that favor for your other buddies. It's just you want to help that guy a little bit faster. Yep. True story. You know? Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. What are, what is one thing <laughs> this year? Cause you always have one to five. What was one hilarious story you have from this year? Ah, oh, boy. Um, we'll also take any haunting stories. I don't have any haunting. Well, no, I take that back. I'll go with a haunting story. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, I told you about our guide house in Kansas last time. Yeah. Yeah. Rocking chair. Yep. Rocking chair. Fuck that. Um, so in the, the talking. Yeah. And the talking. Yep. And uh, so our family farm that I grew up on, like um, my guides, a few of my guides also think that it's haunted along with our lodge manager, Ashley. Um, she also swears up and down like our family farmhouse is haunted. So, Good. My sister Sue was home um, this winter or this this fall, and she was you know just kind of home for a couple of weeks and just hanging out. And she and she knew all this like I've told her because my guide Garrett was down in the basement one time and he was down there doing something and uh, he heard somebody walking across the floor up top, so he yelled out hello and they heard somebody you know like walk in down the hallway to the back bed bedroom and then walk into the the bathroom and then walk out into the kitchen. So he kept yelling and nobody responded to him. And then he walked up there and there was nobody there. So that's kind of how this whole thing started. Well, so my sister Sue's home and she sends me a text and she's like, uh, do you have a minute to talk? And I was running a hunt. I was like, well, I can't right now. Is it an emergency? She's like, no, just call me when you're done. So she, it was her, the day she was like leaving to go home and, um, She's like, you know, I know all your guys think that the house is haunted. And she said, I was getting ready to leave and I was upstairs. And she said, you know, those three, there's like three mason jars of coins that were on the windowsill in the basement that have been sitting there for 20 years. She's like, I said, yeah. And I, she said, well, I was sitting upstairs and it was just me. And all of a sudden I heard this huge crash and then another one and then another one. And then I was like, what in the fuck was that? So she's like, I got all freaked out. But then I was like, well, I know nobody's here. So I ran down there and all three mason jars had fallen off the ledge and were shattered on the concrete floor. 
and there's uh, no way they could have fallen naturally. Th- they've been sitting there. <laughs> maybe since I maybe since I was a kid, I might have put those coins, those mason jars full of coins there, and they were just they have just been sitting on that ledge for twenty years. And then all of a sudden, my sister. So you have two real estate properties that are currently haunted. Um. Well, I I own one, and we're just renting the other. But yes. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So is that the only haunting occasion at that place? That's it. it happened this year. Wild. Yeah. So she was a little. She's like, well, I was just trying to think, you know, if I was running the washer and dryer. But right. she's like, I just looked at them not that long ago and noticed them and they weren't anywhere close to the edge. So she's like, that didn't oh make any God. sense that they had just like. Was there dust? Is there dust rings around them at all? That like, I could you have seen any dust that had been like something slid them? Um, that I don't God, know. That'd be, yeah. That's bad. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. So no, as far as create like funny stories from the year, um, the one I told last time, that one's a pretty tough one to top. Um, I don't, I can't pull any off the top of mine. I've got. Do you have any weird stories this year? Any weird things that happened? You know, this year has been, um, this year has been a pretty normal, like we haven't really had any terrible clients. We haven't really had, you know, just that brutal stretch of hunting. Like it has been an oddly normal year. If you can say that about hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just been consistent and not minutes. I mean, probably the only thing that's out of the ordinary is how consistent it was, how, how good the hunting was in November. That's probably the only thing that was that was out of the ordinary um, this season. Maybe you can help me out then because I got my ass kicked. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. It's probably the worst year in 12 years. Yeah. For me, ducks and geese. Yeah. Usually it's like one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. One's actually kind of consistent. Both were both, both were very consistent on the bad bird days. Yeah. Zero patterns. Um, there was, they weren't leaving in the morning, like on a day that they should leave. Yep. They weren't going to feed yep. on days that they should feed. Yep. There's just like a bunch of weird stuff. And yep. then they, all of their flight lines changed up this year Yeah, for my area. Okay. And I've been hunting this area very hard for eight years. Are you talking Metro or Western Minnesota? Right where we're at. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. And... Why is that? Because I, I was going to ask you, but you've had an unbelievable year. Yeah. And so what do you normally do on those days? Well, we have to hunt no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we have to hunt. Um, so when you're asking that question, like, are you saying, like, what would you do differently or what would you do? Or yeah, what do you like, what, like, would you just wait for stuff to build or would you just do something completely out of the box and something different? Well, the hard thing is when they get in those types of patterns is that they – I mean, they become unhuntable because you just don't even most of the time have an opportunity to even kill them. Right. Like that That's what's and There's really no out. There's not much out of the box that you can do at that point. Um, I think that the thing that's tougher around here is just because of the, the metro area and the pressure and the congestion and all those different things. I think that affects birds feeding patterns even more because, you know, in the metro, I just know. Like I can just look at the weather and just know it's like, Oh, we're going to be offering people half price hunts today for, you know, to come back because it's going to be, we're just not going to shoot anything today. And it doesn't matter how many birds were in the field. I just, I, I just know that because if the weather's are at certain conditions here, you just know that they're going to go to the city park and feed and you just literally are not going to have a chance to, to kill them that day. Um, but as far as, you know, I think I'll, 
part of the reason why I think we had so much success in Western Minnesota this year is because, you know, we did have a uh, fantastic duck duck hatch this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a lot of young dumb birds around. And I, you know, I don't think people probably, I, you know, I think people pay attention to the juvie hatch a lot. I don't know if people as pay as much. I mean, I always look at it and, and see it, but I don't always use that as a projection of how our season is going to be. Um, after this year, I will probably do that a lot. I will probably pay more attention to that because that's kind of what I am attaching a lot of our, because it didn't make any sense. You know, I've been, I've done this long enough to know that if we have a weather stretch like that, it is going to be terrible. Um, right. but it wasn't. And you know, I, uh, Carter can probably pull it up. I think our, our duck hatch numbers were up like 80% this year. Is that 80? What? It was something wild. It was a huge spike. Where the fuck were they? It was a huge number. Well, I'm guessing a lot of them didn't get to us. Yeah. Well, not a lot came here. Well, I can promise you that. Well, and you are, you know, where we hunt in the metro, and I don't know what it's like where we're at in this area, but where we hunt in the metro, it doesn't matter for ducks. I don't even, like, I tell our clients we are, you know, we want to come to the metro and shoot ducks. It's like, well, if you want to come to shoot ducks, you got to come to our lodge in western Minnesota because we just pretty much exclusively kill giant Canada geese in the metro. Um, But with the exception of when it gets late and everything freezes up and everything pushes up into the Mississippi, which typically happens the week of Thanksgiving now, um, then we will get on a few good duck shoots before our season ends. But we never had that this year. Right. You know, we right. never, ever got, you know, we had that little bit in October, but, you know. They were was, gone same day. Yeah. So that didn't really factor in. And then it was just so warm um, that there was just no reason for them to go to the Mississippi River. Yeah. You know, they just were on their ponds. So we just, we <clears throat> we didn't, even our, we, I guided, uh, I helped with the group here. The, the We had Thanksgiving weekend and Thanksgiving weekend where we hunt. Um. We have a bunch of land right off the Mississippi. We usually beat the hell out of greenheads, and yeah. we did not see one until last weekend. And you know, it had gotten a little bit colder then after Thanksgiving, and some stuff started to freeze up, and things started to push into the Mississippi. And then last weekend, we're guiding hunts in the metro, and we've got two thousand mallards in the field. Do you think it's the birds in the area? losing their small water and then they have to go to the Mississippi or do you think it's more birds migrating in and coming into the Mississippi? I think it's probably a mixture of both. I think that small water freezing up, it plays a huge part in it, but then just congregating, congregating. But then all of a sudden now you're getting a push of birds in from the North as well. And you've got massive concentrations of birds, you know, which then tells, you know, obviously safety and food. There's all kinds of good things. So that was area. That was another question. Do you think when like the river piles up or like when we get mallards, like our big groups of ducks is when shit starts freezing up, Mm -hmm. it's colder in Canada. Mm -hmm. I never thought that because there's already so many resident ducks like that have been in the area for a long time, they're sitting on the river, the birds migrating are seeing that and going, Mm -hmm. you think that's, a big factor in that? Well, that's why, for, I mean, it's Fergus Falls. I mean, Fergus Falls, everything goes into town, then everything that starts shooting, you know, they start showing up from the north when they, you know, they see 50,000 birds on the ground. Right. They're in it. Yeah. Wow, am I dumb that I never came to that conclusion? That makes so much sense. Yeah. I just thought maybe it's cold, birds are pushing in, huge body of water, that's where they're going. Yeah. I mean... I would love it if that was that way in Lacaparle, but like l- lately, like Lacaparle, it literally takes 
we have to have everything freeze up before people, before birds really start to use that. Um, and then for us, the timing on lack of parl becomes how late or how long is this water going to stay open for these birds that have, that are local that are now congregating here to now be able to track in those northern migrators. Yeah. Wow. I feel so stupid. That makes so much sense. <sighs> well, I feel dumb too. If it makes you feel any better, wow. I know it probably won't. Well, I, I just it was more of that like mythical thing where it's like, oh, they come here. Yeah. Like when it's cold, this is a staging area for them. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe it was like a heritage, traditional, instinctual yeah. thing, but it's even more instinctual than that. Oh, there's a lot. I'm going to go down there. Yeah. <laughs> God. Wow. Kind of crazy, man. Yeah, I just wish it would get colder in Minnesota faster then, you know, because right. it just, we've talked about it so many times on the podcast, probably stupid at this point, but it's, we don't have the duck numbers that we used to because it's warmer. Right. And so... I don't know. Last well, like three warmer years, and habitat, sucked. and there's you know, it's never just one answer. There's a lot of different variables to that. But yeah, I mean, it this year, um, you know, coming off of last year, which was a, was a colder November than we had had the previous two. Right. I was kind of expecting, but I think they said this year is also a uh, which is El the warm, Nino. It's an El Nino. Yep. And two the two and three years ago we had one of those, and it, you know. Kansas was pretty tough in early December because we just didn't, we, it was, you know, you like 20 degrees, 15 degrees is cold enough to get some movement. If you want those birds, you know, you need, you need the thermometer to bottom out. Like it's gotta be, you gotta be single digits for a long time and you've got to have like eight to 10 inches of snow. Yeah. And we haven't had either of those this year. You know, right. and those like when that combination of two, like that's when you know, okay, get ready because it's going to be on. But we just, it's, I mean, Winnipeg, because starting at the end of October, I start watching, you know, I watch our weather report, then I watch Winnipeg's weather report, and I'll watch Devil's Lake, and then I'll watch, you know, Kansas and South Dakota where we hunt. So I'll just try and check in on them, you know, a couple times a week to see what's going on. And Winnipeg, for the most part this fall, was within five degrees of where we were at in Western Minnesota. Not yeah. good. No, not no, good. Not good. Yeah, so. I was talking to Loeffler today, and it was only four degrees colder in Thief today. That's nothing, and they have no snow on the ground. Yep. That's so crazy. Yeah. Huh. Well, let me do an ad here real quick, Graham. Do you guys use uh, duck straps? We do. Have you? Uh, what do you use? The old metal buckles, or do you use uh, on the leg straps? Um, whatever my guides haven't lost. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Dude, we're uh this podcast is sponsored by RW Coolidge and he makes the most badass leather duck straps. Seriously. Okay. It'd be one, you know, for you to have. Yep. And Pass down take your out, kids. you know, with your yep. your wife or your yep. kids or whatever, not a Yep. Not a for the guides maybe situation. Yep. But And then, like I you're hunting flooded corn, right? right. So you don't want to lay your ducks in the water next right. to you. Yep. And so you get like a little high and dry pull and a strap. Yep. And one, the ducks look better at the end of the day. Takes and then two, they're not, they're not waterlogged. Yeah. I hate cleaning waterlogged ducks. Yeah. And I, I love hunting water sloughs yep. and all that, especially by myself. It's just like easy walk in, throw a dozen decoys, walk back out. Yep. And then you just hang your ducks on the strap. It's just incredible. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Go to rwcoolidge.com. Okay. Um, last question I have for you. Yeah. What's the rest of your year look like? And then when do you like take a break? When do you chill? Um, so 
will guide. This will be a big stretch for us through December, and then we have a, a stretch that we do after Christmas and New Year. And then I just found out, actually, Kansas extended their early zone season, which is one of the zones that we hunt until January 7th. So we get about a week more of duck hunting there. So I've got some groups to sell, which if you wanted me to plug something, we have openings in early, early January oh, in shit. Kansas. So You have an opening. Oh, shit. Yeah, we've got some openings in and early January. it's not January in between Kansas. your legs. Uh, and correct. Correct. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we can work on that, though. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, we'll be down there, and then we have that late January split. And then we've got early to uh, early um, early to mid February dark goose season down there, which is Canada specs and snows. So I'll guide pretty much all of that, and then um, um, then that's kind of the pretty much the beginning to the end to, to my personal guide season. This year I've I have tried. Um, I'm trying to step back a little bit, just piece from like the actual in the field guiding part of it because well, you got five kids. Well, I've got five kids and the business is growing. And in order for the business to continue to grow, it has to have as much of my attention as I can give it. And if I'm guiding, you know, six, yeah, you're not doing the business five, though. six days. I just, right. I come back and I'm so overwhelmed because I have got, you know, like I will come back from weekends and I have got 200 emails to go through. And Ooh. yeah. So and some of it's, you know, clients wanting to book and some of it's just random questions from current customers that are coming up. And yep. some, sometimes it's a guy who forgot his vest on the last hunt that he was on. But all of that stuff has to get dealt with. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, also for us to kind of evolve and kind of continue to do some more, you know, we want to do more. I don't want to ever get to a point where there's like, well, there's nothing else that we can do. Um, so, you know, that just takes thought and it takes time and we're going to start planning deer hunts in Kansas. And that's a, that's a lottery system. So, and that's in April. So I have to start, you know, coaching clients on how to, um, you know, draw and go through that whole process. And I've got to teach myself that process. So, um, I'm just trying to be better at, a, you know, I feel sometimes guilty, like, you know, I got to be in the field cause my guides are in the field and I want to lead from out front. But what, what I've learned is like, I can be a better leader. Like I'm still always there for them. I'm still always available to them, but I have to be able to step back to be able to do some of that other stuff so that we can continue. So that, forward. yes. So it's that you thankless. can pay them more. Yes. Some point in the right. day. Correct. Yeah. It's yeah. a thankless job, right. Yep. That nobody sees all the behind the scenes crap yes. that has to get done, yep. but it makes it a successful season for them too. AKA Cal and Carter. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. There you go. Hey, write that down. I will. Yeah. We can make that happen. Hey, great job, Carter. You're killing it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Carter is killing it. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, and, and it's true, um, you know, I, I think that's why you see so many people, like, you, you know, I just said something on Facebook the other day that, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, somebody just, you know, just put their first duck they ever shot on Facebook, and, you know, today they're a hunting guide. Um, oh, I saw all those going around. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, there's truth to that to a point, but I think that's why you see, you know, I've had so many people underneath me that, that started with me that are now out that have tried to do their own thing and um, typically unsuccessfully. Um, you know, what they look at it is, you know, these, you know, the guides come in and it's just like with you guys, I'm sure it's like, well, there's all this money coming in and there's this and this and this, and I'm, you know, I'm getting this and, you know, it's, it was like, well, if I was doing this today, then I would be coming away with this. And it's like, um, okay. Yeah. There there's, tr that's true. If you did all the other shit that I do all off season long and every day that I'm not only like I'm doing while I'm guiding while I'm in the field with you and, you know, doing all these other things, you know? So 
they think, well, if I would, if I was there, I would be making all this additional money. It's like, well, yeah, if, if it was your company, you would. What they also don't realize is that you don't make any money when you're not guiding and you don't make any money in May and June and July and August. And oh, by the way, you have to have marketing because <coughs> if you don't have customers, you just have a hobby, not an actual business. So there's just a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Just a lot. Yeah. It's, just, it's not just like for you guys. It's not just about swinging a hammer. Right. It's, right. you know, that, that is, you know, at the end of the day for us, like for me, from, from a guide standpoint, like the actual time in the field is about like 10% of my job, you know, right. It's the ninety percent. Honestly, the easy part. You yeah, know? honestly, it is. It my, is. Bo- my boss always says that too. Like the easiest days I have are the days where I just get to swing a hammer and put my bags on. Yep. You know, I'm sure it's the same thing. You know, if you could make the same amount of money and just roof and not screw your body up, you'd probably do it. Yeah. No, like today I threw on my pouch for like an hour and a half just, just to clear your. Head. Well, I was just I needed it. Yep. I needed to just not have my phone on me and just like bullshit with Mexicans. And, and just yeah. up on pump jacks, just yeah. swinging a hammer. Dude, and it felt so good. Yeah. It's got to be the same thing for you where you're like, you probably just want to go out and yeah. guide hunts. It's I probably do. like, if like you just do that, you yeah. know, but it's the other stuff is what makes it yeah. possible to go out and guide hunts. Yeah. And I, you know, I would love to be able to just not call people back or email people back or answer my phone or yeah, do any of those and just have full books. Right. Yeah, and that'd, be would great. Be, that'd be great. But you know, that, that is a part of it and that's how we get to the point where we're at. But it is, you know, I have to be careful sometimes like, cause when I am at home with my kids, like I get it, I'm just expecting there to be something on my phone. You know, I'm just constantly looking at it cause there's an email or a text or a, a Instagram message that came in or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm just assuming there is going to be something there waiting for me that I have to deal with every time I flip my phone, you know, screen side up. 100%. Yeah. Totally get that. Yeah. So do you get to chill in like April? Um, yeah. So uh, April. We're still kind of doing snows. We're, we're still doing yeah. snows into early April. Do you go April. do that though? Um, I haven't the last couple of years. I probably will this year. I, okay. I was kind of mean to, but I, I just never ends up working out. Um, and... This year, I'll, I'm going to try to get out with the guys in both uh, Kansas and South Dakota for a little bit. Not necessarily even to guide, just kind of be there and you know cook meals for them and yeah. you know do that kind of stuff. Which that's the stuff that I really like. I really love gathering the guides together after a hunt and cooking for them and you know letting them come home, you know, back to the guides' quarters or wherever we're at, and they've got a home cooked meal and um, you know thirty bags of Doritos and ten cases of Bushlight and Copenhagen and. Yeah. And then they're happy, you know. That's that shit, their, that shit that's makes a happy place. difference. Big, big yeah. Difference. Dude, I remember uh, one time I was doing a dude's house, and I quoted him like three grand to do a repair. It was a big repair. Yeah. And I was by myself. Yep. I was supposed to have two guys helping me. It didn't help. So the first two days, it should have taken me two days. It took me four because I had no one helping me. And uh, at the end of the second day, he's like, man, weren't you supposed to have help? I was like, yeah, but... You know, no one shows up on time. This generation sucks. Well, yeah. no one has a work ethic anymore. And um, and on the third day, he gave me an extra four hundred bucks and two cases of beer. And I didn't care about the money. Yeah, the fact that he gave me beer, I was just like, oh, you are so awesome. Yeah, I I'm going to drink this right here in your driveway right now. Yeah, it makes a huge difference, man. Yeah. Well, I think it's just yeah, them seeing you give a shit about them. Yeah. For sure. That's really what it For is. For sure. But yeah. then uh, to go back to your question, so yeah, I'll coach. Um, we have four boys and a girl. So in uh, in the summer, um, 
this year I, I coach uh, my son's travel baseball team. So I'm coaching that. That'll be like May, June into July. I'll coach that. And then, then it's pretty much ready to get right back into to guiding again right after that. But then the last two years, because of how things are going, I've been able to coach my boys' football team in the fall as well. So, you know, that kind of stuff is, is nice and is rewarding because as the company grows and we have a good, stable, you know, guide base, I can be away a little bit more so I can, you know, manage the business, but then also spend two hours a night coaching my boys in football. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Carter, can we get some outros? Thank you. All right. Did you get this last time? I think so. Okay, good. Yeah. That's I good. love this it's shit, a, dude. I was told key. I'd get the platinum package when I came back you, this yeah, you, yeah, This is part of the platinum. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. Yeah. So far, you've gotten the gold package. The platinum comes after the podcast. Oh, That's, sure. Gotcha. Yeah. We finish gotcha. it off. Great. <laughs> We'd have to put it on a different site, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they call them roofies. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get back home? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, guys, if you have the opportunity, January, what are your dates that are open? Um, it's like January uh, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. Okay. So call Graham up. Go on his website, maxoutguides.com. Correct. Okay. Check that out. Book a hunt. Geese you fear won't. them. Yeah. Geese and fear them. He True is, story. He's kind of the corn king. Yeah. So... King of the corn. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Check out other channels, guys. Leave a review. We'll see you soon. Hey, Graham, one more thing. Yeah. 